shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Hey, after you drop off the kids or put them to bed, turn on Childish with real-life friends and podcasting virtuosos Greg Fitzsimmons and Allison Rosen. Laugh about the struggles and joys of parenthood. Grow closer to your children. Learn something useful or not. Maybe feel less alone. And maybe even put the spark back into your love life. Childish is for people who are parents or had parents if you had no parents, maybe check out WTF with Mark Marin. Subscribe to Childish. New episodes coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts. Childish, oh shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Childish, oh shit. How can I pet when I'm still a kid? Allison Rosen. Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison Hey everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I'm sitting here with a new friend of mine, Asif Ali. Wow. Hello, from Wrecked. From the forthcoming Goat Face special on uh-huh. Comedy Central, from Inside Joke uh-huh. on Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. from other stuff that I'm probably for failing to mention. I mean, I've been on other stuff, but these are the three that we're going to focus on today. Okay. You know? But I mean, if why you... live in the past? That's right. Yeah. Let's just, what are your future projects? Let's just talk about those. <laughs> the ones that aren't even real yet. A dance show. Oh my God. Um, where, I, where I challenge children to dance. Um, and then I embarrass them in front of their friends. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another show where I try to catch animals by hand. It's called By Hand. Oh, I like it. And I go into parks and zoos and I try to grab animals. Is it dangerous? It's so hard. Have so, you been hurt yet? I will be. Yes. I'm planning on it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there's another one where I try to do other people's taxes, but I'm not, I'm not a CPA and it's called, we'll see. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean- it, when I when I hear you pitch it like that, I think it sounds like it might be a little like sort of a slow burn. But I can imagine all the twists and turns it's going to take because it's. I, I can imagine I would really get hooked in on like, will he be able to do it? Uh-huh. A lot of people get audited. Some people don't. Right. Yeah. Like, will he think of all the deductions? The sad part. All the is, challenges. You know? The sad part is people are probably like, oh, it sounds like I'd, I'd watch that. I mean, you watch The Bachelor. <laughs> why wouldn't you watch a guy? Get people into serious tax trouble. That's right. Oh, that, oh, I didn't predict like that. If that's the twist that you mm-hmm. just fuck up their taxes and ruin their life, mm-hmm. I would. That's appointment viewing. Oh, I go to Calabasas and I pretend that I'm a great tax man, yeah. and then I get all these people, the Kardashians. Into, oh, could you imagine? I could. <laughs> <laughs> um, that well, that all sounds great, and I can't wait to see all of that. So I met you. Uh, at the Big Adventure Festival down in Costa Mesa, California, uh-huh. because I moderated the TBS Rect panel, and you are a cast member yeah. on Rect. Such a and fun, such a fun panel that was. I think I I thought I it was actually know, really fun. I don't know whether I say thank you or if I just agree. I think you just agree. I yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah, rude yeah. if I say because I didn't. I didn't. It was a really fun panel. Yeah, I was honored to be a uh, a little tiny part of it. We're happy to have you. Thank you. You guys are great. You guys are very funny. Yeah, we have a good we have a good rapport with each other. And you guys all get together and watch the show. We do. We like get we go to someone's house, one of the the many cast members, and then we'll watch it. 
Because why not? Because it's not like a movie where you can like have a big premiere or something like that, right? And right. So each episode is special to us. So we're like, why don't we just get together, have some snacks, and and watch the show and enjoy this thing we have together? Because then, like, the sad part would be if it ever gets done and you didn't do that, you just be like, ah, oh, right. All those missed opportunities. Took it for granted. Plus, we don't shoot. We only shoot ten a season mm-hmm. so it's not like you know we're modern family we shoot like 38 episodes we're at a point you're just like i don't want to talk to you guys anymore because i literally work with you seven months out of the year um so for us it's a pretty tight window and it's so the conditions and everything it's very much like people who do uh like those marathons like triathlon things and Mm. then they all meet up together and hang out because they're like who else understands what we've been through right (laughs) so it's like kind of like that where it's like you know because you guys film in fiji which i learned from the panel is it sounds uh extravagant and luxurious but it's actually quite grueling i mean i mean visually it's like a beautiful gorgeous place obviously Mm. people go there for like their honeymoons and stuff like that but we shoot outside and the idea of the show is that you know, plane crashes on an island, and we're just like struggling to survive. Right, so we're, it's a lost parody. Yeah, so, so we're not funny. Yeah, thank you. So we're not in like civilization. So we're just out in the jungle, you know, sweating and being gross. And so we have to like be there, being gross and disgusting and out in the element. So yeah, it is it is tough, and you know the the at you know the environment of of Fiji's you know not as sweet as here minus the horrific fires uh <laughs> right by the way i'm done with trees i don't want to yeah. be anywhere around a tree okay i only want to live in places that are just like cement i i'm concerned now that like if my yard has any dry wood i uh, now we're all gonna be like fiends for dry wood yeah being like oh you got some you got some dry wood i gotta get right. gotta get that out of the way because the fire i think that that area of california mm-hmm. like up north that area it's going to become like, this is like the, what, the third or fourth time this has happened in a row? It's, I don't know, but it seems like it happens all the time. But that's going to be increasingly. Like, that's going to be like our tornado alley. Yeah. And it's going to become like, no one's going to want to live there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's scary. It's really scary. That's it's just really going to be like an empty part. That's the earth being like, I mean, you can try again. <laughs> right. I dare you. I dare you. Yeah. You saw what we did. Exactly. You didn't heed the first few many <laughs> warnings. <laughs> right. But so anyway, so um, so in, in Fiji, the sun is very intense and uh, we're out in the in the elements. So, yeah, it's very, very taxing. Like, to, you, you know, we would have to like pound Gatorade and emergency and all that before we even get to set because you have to be prehydrated. Right. Because once you're behind it, you're done. That's why we were talking about I got like sunstroke or whatever uh, the first day of season two because I wasn't prepared because we were just hanging out. They bring you out a couple days early and we're like at the pool and having fun and eating, you know, and then you get through the first day of work. And if you're not like conditioned for mm-hmm. it, I just lost. I, I threw up and everything. Yeah. You said that you had the kind of projectile vomiting that if someone saw it, a video of it, they would think it was CGI. Yeah, they would think like it was one of those things in like B movies where they put like a pipe or like on <laughs> SNL, you know, yeah. they put a pipe next to your face and right. they're like pushing a button. It looked like that. And uh, it was, it, I went to a place, like I, I removed myself from the group to be like, oh, I can do this quietly over here and no one will know. And it was heard all across the land. 
<laughs> Did you have to go to a hospital or anything? No, our um, our onset medic was pretty great. He came up and he was so calm. He had been in the army, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you want in a medic. Yeah, because he's like, I've seen people die. This is you throwing out. This is not a problem. He like, luckily we were sort of at the end of our shoot. Which, by the way, that entire day we had to reshoot <laughs> because when you look back at it, everyone's face was just like we were all dead oh, from geez. the sun. Yeah. And like all the girls' makeup was just like, like it was like they all looked like it was like a bad Halloween costume. <laughs> we were all just like we were saying lines, but you in our eyes there was like zero conviction. Mm-hmm. It was like we were like, a like bunch in survival of robots. mode, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of what the show is about, exactly. But I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So we had to re- reshoot that day, but um, we were sort of at the end of it, and the medic was like, "Dude, you gotta." You got to just eat everything because mm-hmm. when you're, you're just sweating everything so that he's like, you always got to be eating. And he's like, you got to be hydrated like a, way well in advance of what we're doing. Are you the only one who got sunstroke? Yeah, I'm the only one that got it. Um, I think, I mean, other people got sick, mm-hmm. like people got diarrhea. Um, uh, a lot of people were you know they didn't feel well a lot of people teetered a lot of people would get headaches like that was a common thing of people working on on the show is people would be like i got this like throbbing headache and they're like dude you're not you gotta pound this like we when we would go i now bring like this entire box of like emergency and i'll just like have my backpack and like pass them around and people don't have them um but like season three were like very we were very um prepared and Mm -hmm. ready for that kind of stuff so they're like very very stocked, stocked on that. But anyway, so so working on that show is hard, but um, uh, because of that, it sort of builds this camaraderie between us because we're just battling to get this show done that is very fun and it is very, uh, uh, it's great to be on if you are properly hydrated right. and everything. I'm going to run a theory by you. Yeah, sure. And I remember wondering about this when you mentioned it at the show. Mm-hmm. Do you think, and I've said this before in public and people have mocked me do you think it's possible the reason that you're the only one who got sunstroke is because you have black hair because i also have black hair and black absorbs Mm. heat and i feel like i'm more sensitive to sun because of the black hair and no one feels like this is a valid theory but i i feel like it is i mean honestly it could be it i mean there could be something to be said about that i mean lack of hydration um i mean black does attract heat right that's a fact it's on our heads right um, I guess Jess. Yeah, not Jess. Allie. Allie has also black has black hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There goes my theory. Yeah, the theory's thrown out the goddamn window. <laughs> um, I don't know what it was. I think it's just like the luck of the draw. I guess I was the the least hydrated of the bunch that day. Um, and it just you know now I, I you know I sacrificed. I martyred myself for the you're group. Truly a I'm, martyr. I'm a hero, and yeah. I'm waiting for my medal. Right. Mm-hmm. The season four, maybe. <laughs> um, the cast was giving you shit for you don't host these group viewings, right? Yeah, because I live on the west side, and they every literally everybody else on the show, except for maybe Brooke lives halfway between the west side, and like everyone lives in the valley or like way like in Silver Lake or stuff like that. And so I go do you guys want to come? They go, yeah, you never host it. And I go, yeah, okay. Do you guys want to drive all the way to Culver city at 7 PM? You guys want to come over? And they're like, no, <laughs> no, I'm just in traffic for two hours. You when, call their bluff. When there's a person who lives 10 minutes from right. you. So, uh, it's also like a great, it's, I thought about it and I was like, man, if I really 
didn't want to host anything, I really would have picked a, a great place. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you are planning on moving to LA for people who are listening and you do not want to ever interact with people or host an event, just make sure that you live on the West side. Cause it seems exclusively people who work in entertainment live more and more on the, like in the Valley, like that area. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just like, you know, just around all the studios and stuff for Burbank and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, like even comedians, like I don't even, there's not that many standups I know that live on the West side mm-hmm. because all the clubs and stuff, you know, or like sunset, you know, a lot of shows are like in Silver Lake and stuff like that. It's like I, there's maybe like four or five comedians that I know that I see everybody else. It's a, you know, and I didn't choose it, but now I'm trapped because of a way housing prices work. Right. I have such a good deal that it would be stupid for me to pay the same amount or more to live in less right. of a place. Totally. Um, and this is the jail that we live in. You know? <laughs> it's your gilded cage. <laughs> your gilded Culver City cage. Although with um, the recent fires, it has like flushed out all the names of all the celebrities that live in that area to mm-hmm. me because mm-hmm. I've just been like, wow, so many big name celebrities uh live in i guess malibu and I think, in i think all of them west side yeah all of them live pretty much in like the palisades mm-hmm. malibu calabat like that area if right. you are like a big time person that's just where you go that's where they hang out i think part many of, of them it is have horses too a lot of people have horses and i didn't know i didn't realize the extent to which people have horses just for like for fun like you would have a dog right you know <laughs> Nor it, seem, I. it seems like such a huge undertaking to have a horse i don't know what the the trade-off is as far as um you know your human enjoyment mm-hmm. like the satisfaction and and companionship you get out of a dog is it that much more exponentially because a horse is so much bigger i can't imagine it is but i'm sure there's equestrian listeners who will let me know that i'm wrong yeah, and it's like a whole thing. You have to like it's very expensive too mm-hmm. to you maintain. Board them. They eat a ton of food. So it's like where do all the, where did all these horses go? People like transported them, right? And does that mean that there's a bunch of horses like in West Hollywood or something just waiting to go back? <laughs> <laughs> I think some of the shelters out there took in horses. Yeah. Wow. I, it's a that would be tough if you have to evacuate and also get out your horse. It's a lot. It's it, horses are a lot. They are. Horse getting a horse should be like getting you know if you want to get like a bear or something where there should be a lot of like are you sure <laughs> do you really need wait a is that horse? what happens if you want a bear you I don't think you're even allowed to have a bear Probably but not. it should be like you should have to talk to someone mm-hmm. at a government facility to be like hey I want a horse and like do you really need this right do we really need to be making yeah. more so application p- and a waiting period more horses i'm sure there probably is when you're probably going to get a lot of angry people being like yeah i have my horse certificate <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't know there might be like rescue horses that people take oh there probably like, are from races and stuff yeah but i'm sure there's a lot of people just breeding horses and you're just like why why do we need all these horses i mean we have cars there's other viable forms mm-hmm. of transportation so you're not even using it for that purpose yeah. do you know how much horsepower is in a horse one one that's the slowest you wouldn't accept that in any vehicle <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the bird scooters have more than one horsepower <laughs> have you ridden a bird scooter oh yeah are bird scooters national uh, no, no okay let's explain what they are so then bird is this company by the way the uber and lyft is now 
starting to do their own oh really scooter too so basically bird is this company that started in i'm guessing silicon valley they they posited this idea that had been uh started in china i actually read about it so in china they were doing this thing where you could uh rent a bicycle and you can just drop the bicycle wherever the hell you stop riding Mm -hmm. and then if you see another bicycle you can pick it up hit the app and then ride so the idea was Everywhere you go, you could just pick up a thing, go to a thing, and it's cheaper than, you know, getting a cab. The problem that they had in China was that there would be these piles of, literally piles of bicycles, and they're like, we don't know how to deal with this. Right. So then this company in Silicon Valley looked at this information and go, okay, let's replace the bicycles with Danger scooters. scooters. Yeah, they're sort of like electric scooters. And we'll put, like, you have to be 18 and you have to wear a helmet and all that and you have to have a license most people won't, won't do that um <laughs> i've seen so many kids who are not 18 yeah riding them. um and it's like by the way it's like the new like when skateboarding was a thing like you watch a documentary about like how skateboarding was a thing like in like the 80s or mm-hmm. the 70s that that the scooter thing is becoming that thing i think it's it got a subculture like, i've seen kids hit, hitting jumps and, and stuff with them where you're like i'm very scared for you yeah i know that's what i always think when i see someone on a bird i think that looks very dangerous to me i mean i've ridden them and uh so anyway so so i'll we'll get to my extreme my extreme stunts uh <laughs> so then this company was like okay we'll drop off these uh, scooters everyone has phones iphones we'll make an app where you connect your credit card and it's like 15 cents a minute mm-hmm. and it's like a dollar down i guess and and then you can just take the scooter anywhere you want and then when you're done riding it you just, just leave it you just leave it and then we'll pick it up at night i guess oh this is part of it so the way they get uh so people are always like how do these things get charged who's maintaining these things apparently there's a thing in the app where if you pick up all of them take them to your house and plug them all in and charge them and then drop them off in the morning wherever they say to drop them off, you get paid. Yeah, I've seen ads that say make money while you sleep. Yeah, which is like the saddest thing because you go out and you see people <laughs> like with their cars just like shoving right. a bunch it's of like birds in their car. Recyclables. I saw a kid riding a bird and he had three other birds on the bird and he was riding home. Oh, wow. To make, I guess, a little bit of extra money, mm-hmm. which is like, there has to be a better way to yeah. live life. What is what we're turning into like a weird Mad Max, like dystopian, <laughs> you know? Totally. Where like, none of those jobs have like health benefits. Right. You know? So it's just like, they're just out. Same thing with like Lyft and Uber drivers. I don't think they have health benefits either. Oh, yeah. They're I just, don't know. I think they're just, I don't think so I either. I think if they get into an accident, I think the insurance covers the person they got into an accident with. But not So like them. if I was a Lyft driver and I hit you, you would be fine. Right. But I don't think me as the Lyft driver would mm-hmm. get any sort of coverage or anything like that, which is weird. But anyway, so these birds are everywhere in L.A. Um, they, I believe that they're in Silicon Valley, uh, like in San Francisco. I think I, I may have saw them in New York, maybe. Um, and so they're everywhere here. And so the issue is, based off that Chinese thing, they didn't take that into account. So there is no like set place to park them. Mm-hmm. They don't even tell you like, hey, park it here. It's just like, all right. <laughs> and so the problem is, is like they're, you know, and it's just like a kickstand on a scooter. So like a gust of wind could knock mm-hmm. it over. So I think the problem is in high volume, high touristy places. Like if you go to like Santa Monica Beach or like Venice or like maybe in Silver Lake or something like that where there's a lot of tourists, it seems to be that's where the problem is because, you know, people are riding them and then just dropping them off. 
and you have such a high volume of people who are using them that you just have like these, like in, in the Chinese experiment, just a mountain of these scooters and they just get in the way of everything. And so I think locals are like, this is very annoying. Um, and it's like dangerous. Yeah, because people are riding them. Because, you know, you're scared to ride them on the street. I've ridden them on the street and on the sidewalk. And I mean, you ride it on the street and you're like, this is not worth dying over. <laughs> Which is the same reason I don't ride bikes on the street. Yeah, same. And then you're on the sidewalk and people are like, this is for walking, dude. Get out of the way. Mm-hmm. I would rather, and I know this is like the jerk move. I would rather get yelled at by a person. By the way, people are not barreling through you. Right. They'll slow down if a person's in front of you. I would rather get a person to be like, you should ride that on the street versus getting hit, hit. by a car and dying over a bicycle or a scooter. That's mm-hmm. not worth it. Um, so I really think the issue is this. I mean, I get it. It's annoying because it, it is. It is. It, they are annoying. The issue is this. I think really what it comes down to is public transportation. Yes. They're only, they only exist here because public transportation is garbage. If I could just get on a train and get to where I'm going... Why the, why the hell would I get on a stupid mm-hmm. scooter and take twice as long to get there? It's because these distances in between, we look, LA is a bunch of giant suburbs that getting to places is hard and, and LA is so expensive that not everyone can take a Lyft or an Uber or everything. And the train system is so trash that they're just like, well, I can either walk or take this scooter. So it's sort of like a really bad Band-Aid. Right on on a much bigger problem so i i really think that i mean and certain cities have been banning them which is like all right that's fine um but i do think what it's saying is we need to get our public because they're Mm -hmm. not that big in new york because new york has a good public transit system yeah Yeah. so i can just hop on the train and get to where i'm going i don't need to get on a scooter and you know go through garbage weather all the way until (laughs) i get there and get hit by 50 cars so I honestly think that it's more of like a public transportation issue right. than it is anything else. I did not know you were so civic and infrastructure minded. I mean, I lived in Chicago before. I, I lived in Arizona, then Chicago. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Chicago, because Arizona had no public transportation. Where in Arizona? In Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And so I, I said that like in Phoenix because I was, I'm Indian. So it's my like husband's... there was nothing to do over there. So I was just like, oh, this is like, there's, I, my parents moved to America in the 70s and then my dad got a job in Phoenix mm-hmm. and so they're like literally the only Indian people in, in Arizona or in Phoenix. And so it was really weird and I didn't really love it because mm-hmm. it's like, it gets exhausting being like the ambassador. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure to be the ambassador of, of a billion people. Right. And so then when I moved to Chicago, Chicago was like, this is great. It's like so multicultural and like, and uh, there were a lot of Indian people that lived there, but the train system was like, pretty good like mm-hmm. and i found that even the bus system was great and um i was like i was so on board i was like this is what this should be i didn't have to have a car for like three years and um and then i moved out here and i was like oh we're back to <laughs> we're back to square one again um and in terms of multiculturalism and being an ambassador how did you feel like uh la compared to chicago compared to phoenix um i think phoenix is like they're trying they're trying their best um, it's they're they're still rap they're you know they're, they're I think Phoenix is Arizona is just now getting or edging toward getting into a place where their politics ref uh, uh, reflects the populace. It's mm-hmm. so like now you have a lot of like immigrants and 
you know, you have a lot, you have a decent amount of tech companies that are there now. So it's a little bit more multicultural. It's becoming a little bit more like, I guess, liberal and diverse in that way. But at the time that I was living there, it was hardcore conservative, like very, very, like they wouldn't even address the fact that Mexican people live there. It was right. just like, nope, this is just white cowboy country. And you're like, really? You, you guys eat Mexican food three times a week. <laughs> um, but Chicago was great. Chicago is very, you know, there's a lot of different cultures that live there. A lot of different, you know, and, and, and it's such a, what I love about cities like that is they're very tight meaning that you can get to a lot of different parts in the city um, pretty quickly. Mm. And I feel an underlying thing of that is why, you know, not to say that the arts are not great in LA. The arts are like awesome. I love doing comedy here. It's awesome. But there's something to be said about two things. One, a city being shoved into each other. Two, having good public transport. And three, having shitty weather. Mm. I think those three factors kind of... Um, you know, add to um, building a cool art scene. Mm-hmm. Because like, think about if LA had horrible weather, how many more like shows there would be to go to, right? Because when I was in Chicago, and, and I don't mean just like for people who are successful, I mean, I'm looking at it from like ground level, like opportunities for art, right? So in New York and Chicago, San Francisco, like if you are just starting out doing anything, you have way more opportunities because every bar, every cafe, everything, everyone basically eight months out of the year is trying to escape the weather. Right. So they're always inside. So they're like, literally just put on anything. We don't care. (laughs) So then the difference is, you know, the opportunities for someone just starting out is you will have an audience. Here, if you can go, you know, you could conceivably go surfing any time of the year you know, you're not going to be as willing to watch your roommate's friends, cousins, one act play, <laughs> you know, in, in North Hollywood because you're like, ah, I'd rather there's other things you can do. And LA is such a hub of like, me and my friends were talking about it. Me and my friends in, in the sketch group were talking about how LA is such a place for like finished products. Yes. It's not a place where you're like, hey, I want to see you develop something like in, in like in New York, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's developing his play and people will go and, you know, they will they love being a part of the process. Here, it's just like, no, people come here when everything's done and mm-hmm. finished. You know, a lot of times it's like the end of people's tours, you know, it's like Beyonce and Jay-Z come and it's not them figuring it out, you know? Right. You know, when plays come here, they're usually from Broadway. You know, it's already set in stone. Yeah, kind of stuff's thing. not workshopped here. Yeah, and That's everything so everything already has like a you know, if if people are gonna go see a play, it's like it's either already on Broadway and it came here, or it has like Al Pacino is doing you know this play, and you're like, all right, I'll go see that. But mm. very rarely is it like people people are less willing to go see like a random a random thing. The only right. times I've seen it work is if it's like friends of mine that have run comedy shows like in particular neighborhoods where the show becomes a thing in the neighborhood mm. where you know like every Saturday at 7 p.m. Right. at this particular place, you know, there is a show here mm-hmm. and you have to like grind through that first like year or two. Right, like the you, meltdown. Right, until you become like an established thing and then people are like, okay, now I can sort of rely on this thing. But it's not like, there's no like people walking down the street, you know, because the city's too yeah. way too spread out. So I think that will honestly be like a big 
you know, we'll probably both be dead by then. But like, I think that will be like a big renaissance for LA once it's actually easy to get to places. Because in LA right now, we're living in a one event a night mm-hmm. town. That's it. You got one thing. Going to dinner, you can do one thing. That's it. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever, you never hear anyone being like, yeah, I went here. And then I bounced over here, and then right. I went here. They're right, like, whereas in the other cities you mentioned, you do that all the time. Totally do that all the time. So you can see like a bunch of different things. Yeah. And and uh, and so thereby, you know, you're, you're supporting all these different things. Versus here, it's like you have to really hedge your bet. So because of that, you're not going to see right. that guy's one-act play. You're going to go see the the Broadway one because you know like, okay. It's like Rotten Tomatoes, but mm. we're like, we're doing it in real life. <laughs> So let's talk about Goatface. Yeah. Um, I loved the special. Thank you. This is your... So it's a special on Comedy Central featuring you, Hassan Minaj, Fahim Anwar, and... Aristotle Theorist. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, you guys are a sketch group. Yeah. And then also is... Well, is there going to be a series? Are you hoping there's going to be so a series? So this is the idea. So the idea of the of the special was... Well, I'll, I'll give you the whole like little rundown. Yeah. So in like 2012 or 11, we all came here around 2010. We didn't know each other. And we were all just doing stand-up. I had met Hassan in San Francisco. He was living there at the time like for some comedy thing. And then we all moved. We were all talking about moving. He comes down here. We're all doing stand-up. Fahim and Ari met at the comedy store. Uh, Fahim had these ideas for like these like you know, just like silly videos and stuff. And Ari had gone focused to like, on the experience of being a Muslim American. Uh, well, for him, it was just like his like viral video that he thought of by himself a long time ago was like at Af- his Afghan, his Afghani. So at Afghan weddings, they like do a bunch of dances. So he did like a little tutorial at the time. He was still working at Boeing as an engineer. And so he made this sketch and it went viral. And then he had all these other like more artsy, obscure like very funny sketch ideas, but they were like hard to, they were like difficult production wise. Like one, what was really funny was Iraqi Tron, which was like, the idea was what if other countries tried to make the same movie? So they tried making Tron, um, but it was like a bunch of, you know, you were in a desert trying to like make, you know, silly effects that are, that mirror the movie. It was actually really funny. And then it was like the Iraqi missile defense system, <laughs> which was like a shoe and like a and like a t-shirt cannon. But we they shot it like you know like a grainy. There's like a a lot of art direction. And so when he started working with Aristotle, Aristotle went to like USC for like film school. So and he's very scrappy and and talented. He can make a lot of things with no budget look very expensive. Mm-hmm. And so they started working together. And Ari and Fame sort of had this idea because they would see. Hassan and I out doing stand-up and, you know, we're all buddies and stuff. So they were like, I, you know, just the two of us working is a thing, but I think we could make, you know, like sort of like a uh, a bigger statement if it was the four of us because mm. we would all be working. So it's like, why not just make this into a group, you know? And so we made sort of like the, the one direction of Brown Sketch Comedy. And, <laughs> and so in like 2012, we started making sketches regularly. And they started doing really, really well. And so the the ideas would cover everything. Some of them would be, you know, social stuff, some political stuff, some, you know, very topical stuff, some that was just straight up absurd. But we noticed that when we got together, we could talk about certain things because we would have a license to talk about Mm -hmm. things that other 
sketch groups that were not we four brown dudes couldn't talk about or they just wouldn't work as much. Almost the same thing of like if I made a Key and Peel sketch, if we did it, it, I'm sure it would be funny, but it would, you know, if we made the, you know, like the Obama sketch, like uh, that would be funny, but it just hits harder right. if two black guys do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because there's like a more of like a an authenticity and more of a license to talk about things. So we were like, why don't we take that? But what are our experiences? And we didn't even realize we were really doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we found like a really kind of like a, a substantial audience who at the time they, you know, there was nothing. I mean, to be fair, there really still isn't. Um, as far as like sketch comedy is concerned, there really isn't any any realm in that. Like, where you're now getting like brown stand up comedians. Um, you know, we have like four movies that have to directly deal with being brown. Um, but we're like moving towards that direction. But as far as sketch is concerned, there really isn't. Um, there really wasn't anything at the time. So we were like, oh man. So we felt like this is kind of cool. Like we should really, you know, take this seriously and really take advantage of of our, you know, of our position and, and the fact that we're making stuff that people connect with. So we kept doing that. And then, it's great the way, because obviously I didn't grow up Muslim and yet yeah, I, yeah. I found it hilarious. So it's yeah. really, I think, but I imagine if you did grow up Muslim, it hits a it little would bit be harder. like more of like, it would be like the kind of like a visceral, I mean, right. I was laughing really hard, but if you have a, a like in this Baba Knows Best sketch, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, it's, but anyway, I, I was trying to compliment you right. on making comedy that I think speaks to all groups. Thank you, thank you, because that was the idea. Because ultimately, we all grew up in America. None of us, you know, were born in the respective countries that our parents are from. Um, so we have American sensibilities. We're just filtering it through the lens of who we are, you know. And so we started doing. We we did it for a while, and then we were like, you know what? We looked around and we're like, there's no show like this. Why don't we make this into a show? When when was that that you had that, that was thought? maybe 2015. Mm-hmm. We took it around and we pitched it maybe four or five places and they all were like baffled. This was like pre-woke LA. Yeah, <laughs> and and they were all baffled like what 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 is it's like if I put like a plate of crickets in front of you and I was like people eat this. This is like a thing in most of the world and you're like what? you know like it was just like baffling to them that like we kept explaining like the logistics and the mathematics and they were just like they kept trying to like force us to like they to be like can we add like could you add like a white person they wanted us to like add other people like add a Mm -hmm. white guy add like a like i'm trying to like what aspect couldn't they wrap their heads around the idea of the way hollywood is the the way hollywood works is based off of like previous examples and so they are just they were just like what this has never been done we 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 don't understand and we were like showing them numbers on youtube and they were like well i don't know and which is like so crazy because hollywood uh sort of prides itself on being like trailblazers and Mm -hmm. shit when in reality it's the complete opposite they have to be sort of shoehorned and kicked in the ass Mm -hmm. and then they'll be like Oh, then they'll show up and be like, hey, 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 we've always loved uh, these stories, and, <laughs> uh, which, you know. And that, that must have been a frustrating experience. It was so, it was actually really, it was legitimately demoralizing. And um, and so what happened around then is, you know, 
right next to us doing the sketch, a lot of the reason why we were doing the sketch also was because there was no representation. At that time, all the auditions for brown people were terrorist or like cab driver. <laughs> um, both had to have an accent. And and so we were like, well, we don't want to do that. Because I had friends that came out here that were actors that weren't stand-up. So we at least were making some money going on the road doing stand-up so we could say no to shit. Do all fr- four of you do stand-up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I had friends that would come and they were just like, they were like legitimate, like theater. Right. Like very, like, like undeniable talents. They'd come out here and there's a saying, this is funny. So there's like a saying in Hollywood that's like, work begets work, mm-hmm. right? Do every job, take every acting role and then people will know that you're good. And then they'll be like, yo, we got to work with, with Allison because she was great on that thing. Now I know about her. Bring her in. Do you know somebody? Yeah, I know Allison. Problem is that doesn't work for people of color. So because if you're white and you play a terrorist, you have like range. Mm-hmm. But if you're brown and you play a terrorist, you're just only going to be a terrorist for the rest of your career. Mm-hmm. So these guys were showing me like, dude, if you can delay this as much as you can, Use your stand-up or, or your sketch or whatever because they're like, look at my resume. They're like, I'm like Julia, like legit. They're like, I did, played a guy, a, tag, a cab driver and a terrorist like twice and that's all casting will yeah. ever see me as because they just flip it over and they're like, okay, why would you be the friend? Mm-hmm. Which is like crazy. This, this is even before open ethnicity was a thing. In casting, right, which is just recently a thing. What is open ethnicity? Open ethnicity meaning like now for certain roles they won't put an ethnicity on it. I see. They'll just be like everybody can come yeah. in. Whereas previously, since the beginning of Hollywood, it was like you know it'd be like specifically like white something something or black blah blah mm-hmm. blah. Um, but anyway, so we were also using our sketch group as a way to showcase ourselves in roles that we would never get offered to play. Mm-hmm. So in a way, we sort of like got sort of like an acting reel out of it too, which was cool. And then around when we got denied all of these, you know, all these things, we were sort of like, you know what? I started working in TV a lot. I started getting a lot of stuff um, slowly. Um, Fahim started touring so much. Ari started like actually directing. Ari was directing all of her stuff and acting in it. He started like directing. He like directs a lot of specials and stuff. And then Hassan... Uh, through one of the segments of our thing and other things, uh, he got asked to come and audition for Daily Show. So like, so like Ari and other people like helped him make his like submission tape, mm-hmm. and then he got Daily Show. And we we're like, ah, oh, this is great. So at that time, when were he... any of you guys though like, hey, what about us? No, because no. we looked at it like this. We looked at it like we're all like very much into rap. So we looked at it like, hey, there's like Wu Tang, right? So you have Wu Tang, and then all the individual people have their own careers mm-hmm. and then they all come back. But being a part of that helped Helps all everyone, of them. Yeah. Go up. yeah. So we looked at it, I guess, you know, that that was a good thing that we weren't so insecure that we were like, <laughs> you know, he betrayed us. We, we were so happy that also it's like, there aren't enough Brown people in entertainment for us to even feel betrayed. Right. That makes sense. You know what I mean? We didn't. We were so proud, regardless, because we were like we went through all the shit with zero dollars for anything. Like, you know, yeah, how did you? Who and how did you fund the videos? We had no money. We would we would like pool some of our money into mm-hmm. it, and then like this would be a sketch. This would be the uh, like a um an example of how we shoot a sketch. Let's say you and I 
are talking in the scene. And there's two other group. There's only two other people in the group. Uh, person one would be ca- uh, doing camera. Person two would be holding boom. And then let's say the person in the boom now is in the scene with you. I would then now I be see. manning boom. So it was like this round robin <laughs> thing. And we had a lot of friends in the comedy community after we put a couple things out who were like, oh, we want to like be in this. So we would spend like years just toiling, just doing you know, just like the, it was really hard to make this stuff. So then to see anyone get any sort of, any like uh, recognition or, you know, work out of the stuff that we did was like so cool. So when Hudson got Daily Show, we were like so pumped. When I started doing like pilots and stuff, even though all of my pilots got canceled, it was still like such a huge deal to like even get one that I was like, I was like, oh man, I'm in the game. Like we're in the game. And it's because of these sketches you know like i my 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 brother's my manager he would send our sketches out to people and the casting people would be like oh shit that's like that's really funny bring that guy in so it was like stand up plus we would have video to show people mm-hmm. where i wasn't a guy who my lines were dictated by some you know some guy who has this outdated notion of what an indian person is in america right so i started so like we all started working so we're like, you know what? Maybe this sketch group is, we definitely felt like it was ahead of its time. Not necessarily like trying to big ourselves up like, you know, we were so amazing. It was more like, maybe it's just like, there's not enough people of color who are executives and there's not enough examples. And like, maybe that's just what it is, but we got a lot out of it. So, and you know, it was a good experience. So just, you know, it is what it is kind of thing. And then, but we, it was always in the back of our head of like, man, that's always what we wanted to do is like, do it like legit. So all the kids who were us when we were growing up um, <clears throat> could see something and be like, man, that's me. Like, it means a lot, you know, even when, even when it's not something that is like the most amazing thing to you, um, just seeing somebody that looks like you doing something, it's like, it really does do something to your head. Like for me, it was like, I mean, this is obscure, but I remember there's, I mean, Harold and Kumar, when that came out, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I mean, that movie's not winning Oscars. You know what I mean? But to me, it was like, it's a funny movie and it didn't rely on any sort of like tropes. It was just like a funny movie that you could put, you, it could have had two white people in it and it would have still been a funny movie. But the fact that they took a chance and they gave it to show that these people are normal too, you know, and they can be silly and goofy and ridiculous. That was like amazing. Even like obscure comedians like, you know, like, um, like, you know, Asif Manvi on The Daily Show. Mm. That was like, I mean, he's not obscure, but like that was like an amazing thing just seeing a guy do that. There's this guy in Canada, Sean Majumder, who I recently met this past year. Like the, people don't realize like, oh man, just seeing like he just had like a half hour. And I was like, wow. And then he had a show on Fox that that was only on for like a season. But like I watched it religiously even like, you know what I mean? Because like it meant a lot. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, if we could do that for like people now, even though like there are more brown people doing stuff, but not in the sketch space. We're like, man, we always had them back of our mind. So then like now, you know, I'm on Wrecked. Huston's like now has a show on Netflix. Like we're all doing stuff. We sort of got back together. And uh, Comedy Central was like, hey, do you guys want to to do the thing? And we're like, yeah, but you have to let us do whatever we want, you know? And they were cool enough to be like, yeah, yeah, do whatever you want, shoot it. And so like we then 
got to this thing where we all were you a little bit like oh now you want it (laughs) (laughs) um i don't think you're allowed to have that attitude (laughs) unfortunately they they, uh they execute you um and so we just got together and we were like you know what we're just gonna really make you know and they were really cool they just let us do whatever we want and we got in a room and there was no writer's room it was just us and our showrunner and we just sat in a room and we did the same thing that we did way back then, which is we just all came up with a bunch of ideas and we just talked them out and we just picked the best ones. And um, and then we we shot this special in New York. And so it's stand-up as interstitials mm-hmm. and then it's uh, sketches. And then we do like a group thing in the beginning and a group thing at the end. And it's an hour. And we recently uh, screened it uh, at the New York Comedy Festival at the Gramercy Theater. And it was like bananas that it was like sold out because you forget, you know, that you have any sort of, you know, cachet because we were we shot it in like a vacuum in New York <laughs> and then you edit it in a vacuum and then you watch it so many times that you like almost become desensitized to right. it. So then to watch it and like hear people like, uh, you know, really laugh, but more more than that, like what you were talking about earlier, like watching them watch it, but then like also connect with it mm-hmm. and like laugh on like a deeper ish level where they're like oh man that like hits me yeah you know where it's like more than just funny like i they relate that you know they related to it in a in a way that we forgot you know because mm-hmm. we were just watching with each other in like a little editing room so to see that it was like i'm so excited to have uh to have people watch it and um i think it's just i mean i think win or lose i think it's just like a great it's just like a great achievement for us i mean i we're all really proud of it i'm really proud of it but more than that i think i'm really proud of the fact that we were able to to do a thing that we started like almost 10 years ago to to see it come together and 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 now we have there's like billboards that's like that's like bananas to us <laughs> to drive around la and like there's like a billboard with four brown dudes you know what i mean None of them are wearing turbans. Like, it's mm-hmm. just like, it's just, it's, the, you know, it wasn't a manufactured thing. It's just like four brown dudes who are doing a thing. And you see it and, and it, it really is, uh, it really is cool. I mean, that's the only way I can put it. Like, it's like, it's just a really cool thing. And then like, so we always talk about like, what would we think in high school when we, you know, before we even started stand up? And it's like, that would be like the most amazing thing to see. So, um, also, another cool thing, though, is while we were screening it, it was pretty diverse, the audience. So it was really cool to see everyone pretty much laughing at at, at all the stuff. So we know that it, it hits, but it also, you know, it'll connect a little bit deeper for some people. But it is it's, it's really funny. It's also very equal opportunity in terms of who the butt of the jokes are. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you guys make – you. I don't know if I would say make fun of, but I mean, there's like, sometimes it's white people who are, is, are the, yeah. you know, the butt of the joke, but then sometimes it, it is, is it accurate for me to say it's Muslim culture or, cause I, I think you identify I think it's just like, it's just, we call it like just brown culture, brown sort of culture. like Indian, you know, Pakistani, you know, Middle Eastern, like that sort of like immigrant, you know, overbearing parent kind of, you mm-hmm. know, like that kind of. You know, and uh, yeah, and Muslim is in there too. Like that, that kind of culture is like a very specific thing. But at the same time, the immigrant child sort of, uh, you know, if you have parents who are like, listen, we came a very far distance. 
you need to you need to make this work. Mm-hmm. You need to make this dream work. You know what I mean? Because I could be at home. We could just be hanging out with our buddies. You know, we left everything to come so you can have this. So that experience of that pressure and that, you know, it's a very specific thing, but so many people have experienced that in America that it's not really specific to like just being Indian or just being Middle Eastern or just being, you know, uh, you know, Korean. It's like very much like the immigrant mm-hmm. experience. And then there's like, there's like a little thing of like, you know, a lot of us do have Muslim parents. So it's like, that is like an added thing underneath it, but all this stuff still hits, you know? And, um, yeah, so we make fun of ourselves, <clears throat> like things that we see are like ridiculous in the culture, um, because you have to do that. And then, and then also, yeah, things that we see that, you know, are thrown at us mm-hmm. living in this country. So we definitely, yeah, are equal opportunity with the back and forth. And then there's also just like stuff in there that's like just weird, like weird, absurd, uh, you know, absurd stuff. So like I think- Like the boy band? Yeah. I love that one. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like a- uh, It's very silly. Right. It's just like a nice mix of everything. And um, we're excited. I'm just really- Really, really excited for it to be out for people to see it. Did you have stern parents? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, <clears throat> I'm one of four boys, and um, I'm the youngest, so I feel like I didn't get it as hard as my older brothers. Um, so because like one of my brothers is, you know, I have a brother that's married, and he married just this is out of pure chance. He, the my sister in law is from the same city that our family is from. Oh, wow. And she speaks a language and all that. And so, like, my parents were like, we're good. This is good. <laughs> so they have kids, and they, like, <clears throat> they like live down the street from me. So it's, like, it's perfect. So, like, that is good. My other brother's a pharmacist. So it's, like, they we hit enough. I feel like the percentage-wise, enough of the kids <laughs> hit the marks of success in America for them where they're, like, okay. But really, at the base of it, all the immigrant parents want is just for like their kids to like be happy and healthy and be able to pay rent and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So for me, I had a little bit more leverage because I was the youngest. Um, uh, but they were always like kind of suspicious because like they don't get it. They're like, what do you mean? You're just going to be like a clown? Like, I don't understand <laughs> why you're so gung ho about this, you know? And thinking back, them watching their, you know, 19 year old son be like, yeah, this is the thing that I'm going to do is scary, mm-hmm. you know? If, if like your kid you know if your kid grows up and is like i want to be in a folk acoustic band that's it and you're like oh god like you want to support him but you're like oh no like this is not i'm gonna have to be a mom much longer than i want to be mom. you know what i mean right. <laughs> right so like you're just worried that's just what it is and so for me to like get some sort of success and like now they're like once I started like making money doing comedy and stuff, they were like, oh, okay. And then like now that I'm like on TV show and you know, doing stuff, they get like, okay, you didn't get into heroin and you're doing okay. So we're good. They're 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 definitely very um they're they're proud because they hear it from other people being like, Hey, this is like a big deal and they go, Oh, it is? Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> but it is it's a very it's a very cool thing. And a lot and a lot of immigrant kids have that that pressure, especially after the after we do shows, a lot of the questions and stuff we get, it's it's like the same question. It's like, how do your parents deal with you doing this? Because mm-hmm. that's a lot of thing a lot of immigrant kids have where, you know, there's a lot of stakes. It's not necessarily that your parents don't want you to do things. It's just because they want you to succeed. And so uh, 
they have that pressure of like, oh, you know, I'm an engineer, but I really want to do this. Or like, I'm a doctor, but I really want to do this. And so like, that's a common question of like, how did you guys do it? And um, at the Gramercy show, Fahim put it, put it pretty, pretty, uh, pretty nicely and concisely. He said that um, you kind of have to take chances to do stuff because you really will fit, you know, a, an ethnic group or whatever group of people, minority group will really, will really feel like we fit into the, you know, diaspora of America once we're doing everything, mm-hmm. you know, just being doctors and engineers. Like, that's great, but we won't really feel like we've fully, you know, embed ourselves into like Assimilated. the quilt of America. Yeah, until we're doing everything, mm-hmm. you know? And so that means that we need executives at, you know, big studios to be, um, to be, you know, to, you know, people of color doing that. Um uh, we need that in, you know, the arts. We need it in in music. We need it in everything, you know. It can't just be this, you know, we only do two things and that's it. Because that's great, but now it's time to, like, expand. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have the conviction to do it, definitely do it. Because, listen, you can always become an engineer. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's like, I'm not saying, like, becoming an engineer is easy, but... There's 10 million examples of Indian dudes being engineers. Mm-hmm. There's not that many of them doing all these other things. So if you're going to shoot your shot, do that other thing, you know. Um, and then if it doesn't work out, like to me, honestly, like at this point, I've always said this. I'm like, if this doesn't work out um, for whatever reason, and tomorrow I just get like a letter from whoever, Mr. Hollywood, and he goes, listen, man, we've... <laughs> Joe Hollywood. <laughs> Joe Hollywood's like, listen, man. Um, your card has expired. Thanks for playing. Um, you're done. I would be like, if that's what it is, I'd be like, you know what? I had a great run. Um, I had fun doing it. I, I feel like I put out enough stuff um, where I sort of helped the case, but I also I had a great time and I enjoy doing this. I can I could go back to I could go back to college at any moment and do it. My mom went and got a second degree when she was like, um, when she was like sixty. Wow. And she's fine. She's like, yeah, I mean, you could, it's what not. Is she, what's her second degree? She was, she's her a respiratory ther- she was a respiratory therapist. She went to like a trade school. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, oh, I want to go to like American college and like get like a, you know. And so she became a nurse. And so she did that. She was actually, no, she was like in her, in her mid 50s when she did it. And, and she just straight up did it. And then she graduated, and then she was a nurse for a little while, and she's like, "I don't like this." And then she just went back to being a respiratory therapist, but she just did it just to mm-hmm. like just to do just it. To do it. And what did your dad do? Uh, my dad worked at Honeywell. He was like, uh, he worked uh, on like the assembly line, like when uh, computers were the size of refrigerators. <laughs> he was working on that, and then uh, and then he got laid off. This mm-hmm. is actually kind of interesting. So he got laid off. This is actually really weird, and people don't believe me. So he got laid off, and then he was in Arizona. He had children, obviously, because, you know, immigrant, they have children very quickly. And he was like, all right, he was working at like, he was like dishwashing at like hotels and stuff. He was like, what am I going to do? You know, and he was always really into birds, like animals. And so like his like, you know, like shows will have like, they all hang out at a bar, like how I met your mother. They always hang out at a mm-hmm. bar. His bar is like, would be like pet stores. Like he'd always <laughs> hang out at pet stores. <laughs> and so he was once hanging out at a pet store and his friend Mark was like, yo, um, you know, they stopped uh, allowing people to bring in animals like birds and other creatures from, you know, exotic places into the country, like smuggling. And he goes, that's good. You probably shouldn't do that because it's like not 
good to have animals uh, like that. But he's like, what are they doing with all these birds that are like here? And he goes, oh, they're just quarantined in Southern California. They're just like over there. And I guess they'll just raise them or I guess they can auction them off. And my dad goes like, what do you mean auction them off? And he goes, hey, you can just go there and just like pitch a price. And if no one else is, you know, competing with you, you can just take these birds home. And he goes, what? And he goes, yeah. And by the way, this was like 90s, like when Clinton was in office. So this was like the economy was doing great. Everyone was acting like they had just won a lottery mm-hmm. with their money. You know what I mean? I call it like uh, white people were acting like they white people. This is like prime white people trying to get monkeys like this is like <laughs> right at that time where every person yes, was like yo Marcel. i have yeah they're like <laughs> i want a, i want a monkey like everybody wanted a monkey and which by the way don't get a monkey they, don't get a monkey anyway so my dad was like man okay so we took a bunch of money and instead of like hey i'm gonna take this money and like invest in a thing he's like i'm gonna go get these birds and he took our van and by the way my mom was not cool with any of this he got uh, a bunch of birds he came back he started breeding and reselling bir- like jungle birds. Wow! Uh, in Arizona in the nineties, and this is pre Craigslist and all that. So he would take out these uh, fire Craigslist ads, right? Or not Craigslist, um, classifieds uh-huh. ads in the newspaper, like in the back. And you'd have to have like a really nice ad, and you have to call. I remember back <laughs> in the day, my dad have to call the newspaper because right. they charge you per word, mm-hmm. and he'd be telling, dictating them, like you're trying to concise it down, which is kind of similar to jokes in that way of mm-hmm. like trying to like the economy of words. And so he would make these ads, and um, he would he he did it honestly. It couldn't have been better timing. He did it for maybe like eight years. He made so much money from breeding exotic birds. Exactly. He made so much money that he built an aviary in our backyard, kind of like this place that you uh-huh. have for your podcast. You're building like a nice little second home, like a second tiny home. <laughs> he did that um, in the ba- in our backyard. Our entire backyard pretty much is like another home. It looks like a second house, uh-huh. but it has like air conditioning and all that nice stuff. And he was just he was just breeding and raising birds, and like now I know too much about birds. So it's like unnecessary. Like, <laughs> like I would go on dates, and then like I would like see a picture. Like we'd be, like you know people would be swiping through Instagram or whatever, and I'd be like oh yeah, and then you know someone would be like oh look at this funny video with a bird, and be like oh yeah that's an African gray Congo, and they'd look at me and they're like what, <laughs> and like is that a joke name? I'm like no, I I know that is so stupid. Like I know all bird names now, <laughs> like dumb information. Anyway, so he did that for a while, and then he got into real estate. Uh, later on but that to me i think kind of put the seed in our like in our heads of like you can do things like if you put the work in and do it right like you'll be okay like for the most part and so like my brother's my my older brother's my manager and so he was doing finance in chicago and i started doing stand-up like in high school like towards the end of high school and i was debating on whether to move to like la or new york and i was scared because like LA is like, you don't go there until you're like a thing. Mm-hmm. New York is like so expensive. I can't live there. And I was like, man, but I only, I can only afford like the free sort of like in-state tuition here in Arizona. Then I went to Chicago. My brother's already living there and we go over there and I'm like, yeah, I didn't even realize that there was so much great comedy in, in Chicago. Like all the, everybody on SNL was pretty much went through uh, Second City in, in, uh, in Chicago, like Stephen Colbert, all the, like all those Tina Fey, all those people went through there. And there's like a great stand-up scene there at the time too. So I was like, hey, my brother lives here. So I just went to like community college and then I went and I transferred. And and I was like, this is awesome. So I was doing that. And then- Transferred I, to which school? Uh, University of Illinois, Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing stand-up and my brother, because we had this sort of this scrappy mentality, he was like, how are you making money doing stand-up? 
how much are they paying you? And I go, I don't know. They like pay you like, if you're like hosting a weekend or something, they pay you like, I don't know, like 50 bucks or something like that. And he was like, why don't you do stand up at colleges? Because I, when I was in college, people would come and, and do it. And I was like, well, I don't have a college agent. I got to get a good tape and then send it to these agents and do that. So I'm working on that. And he goes, yeah, but while you're doing that, I mean, couldn't I just call? Couldn't you just call colleges and tell them? And I go, oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. And then so what I did the next couple of days is I went online and I got, I went to every single college that was like in that area, like Michigan, Wisconsin, Indiana, like that was all around um, Illinois. And I got all of their like, <clears throat> like their specific like student groups mm-hmm. and that maybe would book me. And so I made a list of it. And my brother was working in finance. So like his job was like very intense. Um, and like he, he found it very draining. And this was like fun, but he's very good at like negotiating and stuff like that. So he, I gave him this list and at lunch and stuff, as as a joke, he would just call these colleges and pretend to be, at the time he wasn't, now he is, but he would pretend to be my guy. And so he would have like this whole spiel of talking about like how he would call them and be like, hey, um, hi, I work at so-and-so company. He made up some like company. <laughs> and um, I know that you guys need entertainment for the, you know, like, and you guys always have comedians, you know, a lot of colleges have comedians. They go, yeah, yeah, we're looking for comedians. And he goes, hey, listen, I know that, uh, you know, there's a lot of famous comedians out there. You know, I, I've worked with them, but uh, you don't want them. Like he's downplaying like <laughs> yeah. famous comedians. He's like, you know, uh, they're really expensive. And, you know, if so-and-so gets a movie, they're not going to come to your school. You know, they're not going to move their movie to do your college. <laughs> you know, you don't want that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, but I got this new guy. You know, I got this young guy who's like, you know, he's working on his stuff. He, you know, he's working on his hour. And uh, he's happen- He's in the area. He's going to be huge. He's in the area. And so we can like cut his rate because he's doing a bunch of schools in the area. So if you want to see his stuff and they're like, uh, okay, all right. And, and then, so like I did, Elsa, I swear to God, I did so many schools off of that because That's so great. it was the most amazing thing. And it really kind of opened my eyes to like, in this business, there really isn't, if you really think about it, being in Hollywood, there's no, it's the only job where there's, you don't even need to have a, a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. There's nobody being like, "Oh, you want to act in this thing? Uh, show me your 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 you know your degree or something." There's no nothing. We're just this is like the wild wild west, right? right. So he's like, "Yeah, why are we add making all these rules. ridiculous rules yeah. when there legitimately are none?" So I was doing that for a while. I did so many schools that I quit college because I was touring so much, and then I got like an actual college agent out of that. And then through that, I got representation and then I moved to LA. And then, so then that started all the good face stuff. But that really put the seed in our head of like, wow, you can do anything you want here. Like it's only limited to your imagination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, if you're self-aware enough and you can put in the, the pre-work to where someone is like, okay, after you're talking to them, let me see your stuff and your stuff is actually good. That's all that is, you know? And so uh, the cool thing was like through that, we did, we did, uh, like the goat face stuff is awesome. Um, uh, we did like all those pilots and I got on TV shows and like I me and my other brother shoot all these internet videos that I, I still get jobs based off of like random videos that I put on like on YouTube and stuff. Um, and then, and then lastly, like me, my brother, my friends, we sold a show to Netflix and that was just us going in 
and being like, hey, we have this great idea. We teamed up with these people. And they're like, okay, you can buy it. And the whole time, you know, you're talking to people and they're like, you know, you need to have all these things to sell a show. And I was like, no, you don't. Right. What's in. the show that you saw on Netflix? Um, it's called The Fix. Um, it's uh, it's like a news show. Jimmy Carr is hosting it. I love Jimmy Carr. Yeah, he's great. And it's basically a um, a a weekly show where they tackle sort of like evergreen topics. And then so he'll explain what the topic is. And then there's two comedians on each side arguing their case as to how they their funny case as to how they can fix the problem but the problem the solution to the problem is based in facts Mm -hmm. so they use like the facts and then they offer a solution so like the idea that we pitched in the room was like for mass shootings uh the pitch i did in the room was uh the host comes out explains uh all the the facts about it that are like indisputable like these many have happened these are the people that did them and and then, like, let's say comedian one, the comedian one team comes out, and then their solution is, okay, so like mass shootings, there's a lot of dudes frustrated with women, um, and that's why they're really angry nine times out of ten, and they take it out on them. So their solution is like make prostitution legal, <laughs> right? And so then, and then they do, then they like talk about it, blah blah blah. Then they come back, and then the second team's like, that's ridiculous. My solution is based off of the fact that a lot of these shooters are like, and these and these uh, violent groups are very like. Like very like st- like hetero straight anti anything that isn't you know like and then their solution is based off this joke I do to stop guns you make guns gay it's like you change the culture right and then so then they would like talk about like how they can do all that and go to like ad companies and like and so like it's like a funny thing but it sort of creates like a conversation and then we throw it to the audience and then they vote on whatever ridiculous solution is uh, they think is like would work and then we also have like a legit statistician that comes out and then she explains like all this stuff in like a, in a really cool way so in a way we're sort of like tricking people into learning mm-hmm. with these two ridiculous solutions <laughs> but they are actually coming away with like some information and the cool thing is it's like not really it's not really heavy bent on uh liberal or conservative kind of thing it's just like it's just funny mm-hmm. and if it happens to be funny because it's one thing or the other whatever but it's just a, a thing we wanted it to be more of like where everybody can watch it and they can just laugh at like how ridiculous these solutions are, <laughs> but also come away with like, oh, okay, that's like we learned some stuff about it. That's really cool. And uh, so when does that air? That comes out uh, uh, sometime early next year. And how involved are you in the day-to-day of that? Um, so we we created it. Um, we are like producers on it as far as like daily writing on it i mean contractually because i'm doing the go face stuff and i'm on the other the on mon wrecked um i couldn't necessarily be on it or do mm-hmm. anything like that but um we'd oversee it i mean they have a pretty tight team and they and they turn it around pretty quickly so we would be there to like oversee tape days and stuff like that but i mean by the time they're already taping it's so tight and a lot of it is just joke 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 so it's just a matter of just like editing really right um, and Jimmy's like so perf- like they've all all the people it's like Deal Hughley, uh, Jimmy Carr, Catherine Ryan, and then they would alternate um, Catherine and Deal's like teammates, and they're like some of really they're like really really funny funny people uh, that we have on as guests. So I think it's going to be a really uh, interesting cool thing. But uh, um, yeah, it's just like a it's just like a fun it's like a really fun fun That's show. Such a good idea. Yeah. And you so you said your brother 
still manages you. Mm-hmm. Is does he just manage you, or is he now like a full fledged manager? Um, he is full fledged, but he is like he manages a small amount of people because for a moment he tried managing a lot of people, but he found that he doesn't have the patience to deal with like the stereotypical actor personality. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I can't manage a person and their career at the same, like a personality <laughs> and their right. person. So he uh, manages me, um, <clears throat> me, my friend Prashant, and like a couple other people. And my friend Prashant I met in Chicago. And so he uh, is one of the co-creators of the Netflix show. And he also is working on, he's executive producer on Hudson's show. Patriot oh, Act on cool. Netflix. And is he still in Chicago or did he come out here? <clears throat> no, he lives, he lives, uh, he lived out here for a little bit. Now he lives in New York working on Hudson's show. Gotcha. So it's like, it's really cool. Like we text each other. We have like a text group of like how far, like, uh, like how much our careers have changed in like such a short amount mm-hmm. of time. And like for all of us to still be friends and stuff, it, it's, uh, it's really cool. It's really, really cool. So he was still working um, at a company. Like he had a day job. And then he was like writing in the morning to like get all these like submissions and stuff. And then my brother would get him <clears throat> and my brother would get him and then he would send him out. And then, and then he finally got a job writing on Bill Nye's show. And he, that was like such a breakthrough because he was like trying so hard to get a job in like that kind of creative field. And then through that, he was working with Hassan, working on all of his like the correspondence dinner speech, you know, um, he did like another foreign press thing, working on the Homecoming King thing. It's like he was really doing all these things behind the scenes. And then for him to now be like head writer and executive producer on the Netflix show is like, it's a lot of work, but it's like, he did it. Like, it's, it's so cool. That's it's really so, cool. so cool. Yeah. All right. I need to talk to you guys about canvas people. Um, let's say you're looking for a gift for a good friend, a significant other, your family, etc. You want to get them a framed photo. Don't do it. I mean, that's a fine gift, but you know, it's an even better gift taking that photo, that precious memory and turning to canvas people and having them print it on a beautiful canvas. It elevates just a photo. Anyone can get just a photo and hang it on their wall. That's what basic people do. This turns it into a work of art. And I know that by my tone, I sound like I'm being a little silly because I'm kind of a silly person. But the truth is we have some of these canvas prints of precious memories. We have two from our wedding. The one that I chose to blow up from our wedding, Daniel feels like he looks a little bit dorky. I disagree. I feel like it's a wonderful memory that deserves canvas. And then we have one of our dog Oliver, our dear departed dog Oliver, and then one of Wendy. Daniel's in the Wendy one. And I love them. These are museum quality prints, you guys. You need to do this. It's a perfect special gift. And it's time. It's the time of year where you need to buy some special gifts. Don't pretend you don't because you do. And as a special, very limited holiday offer, canvaspeople.com is offering their popular 11 by 14 photo canvases for, watch your ears, free, for free. That's right, free. These normally sell for $69.99, but for this week only, you'll pay nothing. Just cover shipping and handling. To get your free canvas, text Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, to 797979. 
Just pay shipping and handling. This offer won't last. Text Allison to 797979. That's Allison to 797979. Message and data rates may apply. Let's do um, just me or everyone. So this is where people write in with things that they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And then we weigh in. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Jesse says... I've never met a stripper who didn't have BO, twirling around, getting sweaty on a pole, hashtag reality check. Um, I've never, I'm not aware, I was going to say I've never met a stripper. I'm sure I have, but no, nothing's springing to mind. And yeah, no one brings that up like, hi, I'm so-and-so. Yeah, I'm I a strip. stripper. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, have I ever met uh, a stripper with, with BO? Honestly. Or without BO. I, I, um... <clears throat> the only time I've met a stripper, well, I don't know if I've met one. One time, my brother was selling a motorcycle. Like he was buying and selling cars, but motorcycles were like popping at that time. Like you could buy them. Uh, my oldest brother was doing this. You could buy them like when people don't want to ride them. I guess in Arizona, it's like when it's super hot. I guess mm-hmm. when it's like when it's like boiling because you're wearing like all this gear and stuff. And then he'd wait and then sell them like in the winter, which is like peak motorcycle time because <laughs> Arizona doesn't snow, right? So um, he was selling this motorcycle and a guy wanted to like test drive it. And I was like, okay. And he's like, all right, I like the motorcycle. Let's just test drive it and take it to my, take it to my office. His office was a strip club. <laughs> and I was under 18. I, I, I wasn't even 21. I was like uh, maybe 17. So I go and the guy's like, yeah, he's cool. So me and my brother are going in this place. And I walk into the strip club and I'm like, oh God. <laughs> And like, I made the cardinal mistake, which is like, don't ever look at a stripper in the eye. Oh, I didn't um, know about that. Well, I don't know if it is like, it's my cart. Like, I've only been to one strip club, that one. It was the saddest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Because they're not like, there's no twinkle mm-hmm. in the eye of a stripper. There's no like, oh, Zest this is life. what I've always wanted to do. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? There's no passion. There's no passion in there. Yeah. Um, and so I think that overtook the smell. I will say... They do. I feel like the bar smell overtakes mm-hmm. the the body order uh, order smell, but I'm sure that at the end of the night there probably is a bo because like right. they're working. It's like yeah. going to the gym, right? And if they're like grinding on you, I'm sure. I'm sure there is one. So I mean, I I think it's it's just them because they've had that experience yeah but I, I don't think I mean, that they're I alone like i don't guy, think they're alone no no but this guy outed himself as someone who spent a lot of FaceTime or what or what have you with strippers he's definitely had some body contact yes. with strippers that's not a hey i just walked by one right right yeah yeah my understanding though is that there is a specific stripper smell and is it like baby oil or vanilla well, or something I'm, oh that's interesting probably the oil so they could spin around yeah. maybe um um yeah, I'm sure that there is like a a sponsor of strip club. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, okay, James Leroy Wilson says, when you want to correct a friend on something factual, but he was wrong a few days before and you corrected him then, you stay silent this time for not wanting to appear an arrogant know-it-all. Yeah, I've definitely done that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, def- I've definitely done that. But if they bring it up again, then you pounce because you have the information. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, unless you go, I've done this once, unless you go, hey, I was thinking about that thing. I looked it up. 
the thing you were talking about, I looked it up. Right. Oh, yeah. Because then, then it's like. Then you can make it seem like you, you agreed with him initially. Either, yeah. And you're like, hey, yeah, I looked that up. And um, the I earth found that is we're, round. Bo- we're both wrong. The earth is round, dude. <laughs> Kyrie, the earth is round. Crazy. Yeah. 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 I've like. If I have corrected someone's pronunciation of something. And by the way, I don't walk around doing that. But like, <laughs> I feel like that that makes a bold statement. You can't do that too often. You can do it if you do it in the right way. I think there's a way to do it. I think if you do it like, um, I do it like, I do it like, that's hilarious. I like the way you say it. But I think, I think that, I think people say it like this. I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. But also right. like those kinds of things, like you can just Google that. Mm-hmm. Like if at this point, if someone's walking around being like the earth is flat, that's them making a conscious choice to want the earth to be flat yes you know yes nina hartley says just smear everyone getting all snuggly in bed at night when i realize i have clothes laying in the washer that need to go in the dryer yes i have had that experience it's usually when i'm i'm not yet in bed but i'm usually like close to falling asleep on the couch and yeah. then i'm like oh wet clothes i always have that like before flights mm-hmm. i'll like rushed and i'll do laundry um, but I don't have in unit, so I mean that that the stakes are a little higher when you're when you are like in an apartment, right? And it's like community washing. Yeah, there. because then someone's going to be touching your wet clothes and Ugh. taking them out and putting on on top of the potentially dirty dryer. Which, which is funny because oh yeah 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 I guess it potentially could be dirty yeah, um, it, but it's like you live with them and it's like if someone touches my shirt, I swear <laughs> to God, we have all these weird rules, right? Like dudes, like I can pee at a urinal, urinal right next to a guy. Like both of our wieners are exposed. Uh. If I sit next to a guy on a bus and our knees touch, it's like, what are you, a f- what are you, what are, what are you, a psycho? <laughs> right? But if I, right. if, uh, like I, I can, uh, like if you go to baseball games, like I went to a baseball game when I was living in Chicago, like a Cubs game, they like piss in troughs. Mm-hmm. I've heard of this trough thing. It's disgusting. Yeah. I saw it and I was like, I'd rather, I would rather get, get arrested for pissing in a bush than do this <laughs> this affront on humanity. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but then like if, you know, someone touches my shirt, God damn it. <laughs> we just get offended about weird things, you know? Uh, Leanne Ward says, I always feel a little full of myself and smug when I realize an NPR host's name and can connect it to his or her voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mine is, uh, uh, um, uh, Shankar Vedantam. He does, he does like um, uh, some mind, whatever, hidden brain. Mm-hmm. He does it on NPR. And he's, he has such like, I think they, I think they, that's how they test NPR hosts. They're like, all right, give us your, give us your, your name, your name tag thing. And if it does, if it doesn't give them sincere R&B vibes, like <laughs> it's like NPR is like granola R&B. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like it's for the world, but it's also like they're also it's very like it's sexy. Yeah. You know, there's a sensuality to it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wessum says sometimes my hubs and I go to the movie theater just to buy popcorn, not to see a movie and then bring it home and eat it while we watch Netflix. That's a, that's weird. Don't do that. When I read that, I was like, what? But then somewhere I, I don't know where it was, <clears throat> but I encountered other people saying they do this. I don't like that at all. I don't like the idea of going into a place and then getting, I mean, 
Like, I mean, how? Here's my question: Why can't you make popcorn at home? Is it that much better? Just I feel like it tastes different. It probably tastes different. Just get a butter machine. (laughs) Just get your own popcorn (laughs) machine. But here's my question, and this shows that I don't go to the movies often enough. How do you access the concession stand without a ticket? Because usually, haven't you usually given your ticket? You can just by tell then? them. You'd be like, "Hi, I'm a psycho. I'm just going to go get candy and leave." Like <laughs> I that guess Seinfeld you're right. episode yeah. where they just got like the candy or whatever and left. Right. Um, I guess. I mean, I don't want to say that. Don't do that. That's weird. Because what is what is weird, right, what does weird really mean? But I mean, if that is what's keeping their marriage together, then by all means. <laughs> It's their thing, right? <laughs> that's so. That's actually kind of cute. cute. It's cute. Yeah, I guess. But if it was a guy doing it, let's be honest. If it was a person doing it by themselves, I think I think that's it's still weird. Okay. Really? It depends. The guy was like, "Hey, I'm gonna. I need to get movie popcorn and then walk all the way back home." I guess that's eccentric. That's that's weird. Yeah, it's it's a cute thing if you do it with your significant Together. other. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. Wherever they live, it must just be easy to get to the movie. Yeah, theater. they must live here, literally it's right like down the street. You're in a seven floor parking structure. It's a whole thing. Yeah, it's not doable here. No. Hannah Pepin, Aww. or Pepin says, I don't want to eat my salad at work with the blue dressing I brought from home because I'm afraid people will think it's ranch. Just me or everyone. All right. Why is that a bad? Why is, is that's it, is, my question as well. However, I have a story that regular listeners of my podcast will know because it's something that happened a long time ago, and I still think about it sometimes. Um, I was sitting with my two best friends in high school, mm-hmm. or I thought they were my best friends. Uh oh, Katie and Jen, and the conversation was, "What's your favorite dressing?" Uh-huh. And I think I said ranch, and then Jen said that figures, and I said. What do you mean? And she goes, well, it's a trendy dressing. Now, (laughs) I still don't understand. What a weird Mean Girls moment. I know. And it's only stuck with me ever since. Can I tell you something? Yes. Those are, that kind of passive aggressive thing to me is the, the, the creme de la creme of girls of of insult. (laughs) Because guys do it too. I mean, like. There's nothing, because it's like, if I just say, ranch, that's stupid, you'll be like, why are you being a dick? Yeah. But if I say, I guess some people eat that way. That's, it hurts <laughs> right. so much more. Because it's so, con- you're like. Because you can't get mad at me. You have to explore all your yeah. weak, all the chinks in your armor, like all the weaknesses <laughs> to figure out what they even meant by that. Like, yeah. I, w- <laughs> I don't know if maybe I forgot about it for a while and then it popped back into my head, but I'm not in touch with Jen anymore. But not because of that comment. But I am right. in touch with Katie. But I was very tempted to reach out to her and be like, do you remember this moment? What was that about? Yeah. Like, I don't know what... What is the, impl- the implication that I am trendy? Or the, I don't know what... It, I still don't understand. I think the implication was that ranch is not a traditional, classy uh, salad dressing. Like sure. a balsamic. Yes. Or a, uh, or a blue cheese or something like that. Um so they kind of were looking down at you like the person who, you know. Uh, the decloise. Yeah. Someone who Gauche. like. They were looking at you like someone who dips their french fries in mayonnaise or some weird shit like that. Right. So they were looking at you like. And look at me. I'm judging someone who dips their I know. french fries in mayonnaise. So I think they were looking at you like that. Like they grew up probably in a family where, uh, you know, their parents were like, we don't do that. <laughs> we're a balsamic family. You know, right. We don't, we don't do this. Um, and so she probably looked at you like, no. Okay, is that who you are? <laughs> the funny thing is that I don't... Like you were dipping pizza in mustard. Right. It was so weird to her. Yes. 
I don't consider ranch my favorite. My, ranch is not my go-to these days. Mm-hmm. Although I had it recently, it's pretty good still. But it I is love, like it's a basic dressing. To me, like dipping pizza in ranch is like get some of those chili flakes on it. Mm-hmm. Um, dip pizza in ranch. I mean, that's that's a dream right there. That's the American dream, honestly. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> um, Lady Candace says, when I arrive at an establishment where I'll have to wait in line, I subtly race any other patrons arriving at the same time as me to the door so I'll be in front of them in line. At first I thought, no, I don't do this. And then I thought, Oh no, but I do do this. Everybody does that. Yeah. That's just like an innate thing in in your in your body because you know you know if this is going to be a race. No one wants to wait in line. Mm-mm. So any sort of like and you kind of see it. Some people are more like polite about it than others. But um oh, me and my friend went to Columbia once and uh we were in line waiting to go on like this tram thing to go up to a mountain and different cultures treat cutting in lines differently. And some places, if they catch you slipping, they caught you slipping. And if you have, if you even allow, you know, eight inches of space, they'll someone just sneak in. And the mm. worst part it was always like older ladies. Oh, because it's like, what am I gonna do? Right, you're not gonna elbow them. It was ridiculous. <laughs> me and my me and my buddy. The second time it happened, we were like getting on a plane, and it was like one of those smaller planes because we were flying in the country. And I was waiting. We're all holding bags, and it's a line. And this lady just like got right in front of me and I looked at my friend and he was like crying laughing because it was so petty like she literally just got one person ahead like it means nothing in the grand scheme yeah. of things but to her it's like I'm, I'm, I'm ahead I'm one person ahead you know I beat you like it, the, like the little victories so in I mean really in the line thing if it's like a pop-in restaurant that could affect it that could mm-hmm. affect it a lot so I have done that of like let's speed walk Honey, let's speed walk a little bit. We can get there up a little <laughs> yeah. bit earlier. Get our name on the list. So, I mean, I don't think that person's alone at all. No, I think that's everyone. Yeah. Asif, it was so nice having you on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, tell everyone, pl- tell them where to find you on social media and plug all your stuff. Okay, so social media, all the social medias, I am at Ali Comedy, A-L-I, and then the word comedy, one word. Um, and then the we'll find out about Wrecked, uh, season four soon but you can watch all three seasons of wrecked for free on the tbs app you can just go to tbs.com or download the app you don't need to have a cable login or anything so that's 30 episodes for free baby that's pretty that's pretty that's, pretty, that's pretty, good. pretty good deal and then the goat face special comes out uh november 27th on comedy central and the comedy central app um and then i will be you know doing shows and stuff so i'm Super pumped. But my greatest credit is doing um, this podcast. and mm, This goes right to the top of that resume. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm very excited to maybe go to Porto's after this. It's not too far. Not too far, so... Um, and I am, uh, I'm all over. I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go. There's different reward levels that you can sign up for. Um, you can get bonus content, extra episodes each month. There's access to a live stream, all sorts of fun stuff. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. I have a book out, Tropical Attire and Courage and Other Phrases That Scare Me. <laughs> and um, if you go to AllisonRosen.com, there's plenty of places to click and it'll take you right to Amazon where you can get it available in all formats. I'm on Twitter at Allison Rosen. I'm on Instagram at Allison Rosen, and I have a new podcast with Greg Fitzsimmons. It's called Childish. Oh, um, Greg is so funny. He's great. Yeah, what a funny guy. 
So uh, check out Childish everywhere you get podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and rate and review and all that stuff. Thank you so much for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? Rosie is your new best